Good morning and welcome to worship at the International Protestant Church of Zurich. It is so good to see you. Uh, welcome if you are visiting with us. Welcome if you are a longtime member of this church. Uh, welcome back to the choir after what seemed like a, a long summer absence. It's good to see you there as well. Uh, my name is Doug Brower. I'm the pastor at IPC. Sam Jurfee, our associate pastor. I'm gesturing, but he's not there. Uh, he's still on holiday in the U.S. I've heard nothing from him, which I assume is good news. <clears throat> IPC is a, a remarkable church in, in many ways. On any given Sunday morning, uh, more than two dozen uh, nationalities are, are represented in this place, and we find ourselves in the, the presence of Christ. And that presence is made visible today at the Lord's table. So uh, welcome to you. If you are willing to, uh, uh, if you are visiting with us today and willing to introduce yourselves, I'll, I'll ask you to stand in just a moment. Uh, first, I have a, a couple of items. Uh, one is thank you for your participation two Sundays ago in the town hall meeting. The, the uh, elders of this church asked for uh, your opinions about worship matters. Uh, we had a, what I thought was a very productive meeting, lots of uh, opinions were shared, and lots of notes were taken, so uh, that much was very much appreciated. Not everyone feels comfortable standing in a public setting and uh, speaking, so uh, we are also going to have a survey, <clears throat> the survey is in construction now, and you are going to get instructions about how to access it. I think we're going to use a survey tool like SurveyMonkey, and you'll be able to uh, access it for maybe a period of four weeks and give your uh, opinions about worship matters here. So please look for uh, an email inviting you to participate in that survey in the next uh, week or so. And then the, the second item I want to let you know about is that a, a church member uh, has made a gift to the church of, of brand new uh, pew Bibles. So uh, those pew Bibles are, are now here. Uh, they have been properly broken in. The, 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 the spine has now been broken in and embossed with the church's name. We're going to uh, hand them out and dedicate them uh, to the glory of God on the last Sunday in October. Uh, I said to the giver, what better day uh, to dedicate new pew Bibles than on the, on the day we celebrate, well, Reformation, but the, the day when uh, the Bible was placed in the hands of church members in their own language. So on that day, we're, I'm going to request that you take a Bible at the back and uh, at the appropriate moment in worship, we're going to uh, dedicate them uh, to the glory of God. Uh, if you are visiting with us today and you are uh, feeling brave, uh, would you be willing to stand and, and tell us your name and where you are from? We very much enjoy this uh, ritual. And oh, and uh, one of our ushers will come around with a microphone. So good morning. I'm delighted to have my brother and his wife from California visiting Mike and Marianne Roundtree. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. Hello, I'm from Malaysia, but I'm staying in Zurich, and this is my first time attending English-speaking church. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm Sagar, technically based out of Bombay in India but work out of Norfolk, Virginia. I work for a U.S. organization called Operation Smile. And I'm here visiting my friend, Stefan. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Hello, my name's Jamie. Um, I moved here from London on Thursday for work. Um, I'm Korean born, 
Australian raised, but lived in the UK for a while, so uh, it's a bit confusing. <laughs> I hope to um, get to know some people and make this place my new home. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. I think you'll find that that story is a, a common one in this congregation. Yeah. Hi, Robert and Ruth Bailey. I'm a Presbyterian pastor in Wilmington, North Carolina. We are Swiss and American, so we come every year to visit relatives, and we're glad to be here to worship with you. Glad you're here. Hello, uh, I'm Samuel. Uh, I currently live in Amsterdam. I came here to visit my cousin, Pravin and Pauline. So, this is my first visit. Welcome. We're Thank glad you. you're here. Uh, Volkmar Yakli is a member of our church's council and he has a few more joys and concerns for us today. So, welcome everyone. Um, as usual, uh, first friendly reminder, um, please to uh, mute or put on do not disturb or vibrate your mobile phones. Um, there will be no prayer um, service um, here after uh, the morning service. Instead, we'll have the uh, special, well, very short special congressional meeting. Um, so please remain here. It's, uh, we're basically... Um, voting uh, for the pastoral uh, search committee members. And um, if you have any children in Sunday school, please um, you know, read in the bulletin um, the, the children of the lamb, sheep, hope, um, love, and faith. They will be being brought to the basement here and remain there during the special um, meeting. Um, but, uh, and the ones, the children from John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Paul, and Kairos, they will be brought here to the hall so they can attend uh, with the parents the, the meeting. Yeah, just one, one more last thing, um, the order of worship. So if you're a fan of electronic media, you have your Bible already on your smartphone, so now you can also download the order of worship if you want <laughs> and take it with you. Okay, thank you, and let's prepare hearts and minds for worship. join me in the call to worship. Now is the moment of grace. This is the hour of blessing. Already joy is abounding and love is flowing. Please stand if you're able and sing hymn number 483. Sing praise to God who reigns above.
invite you to remain standing and to enter into a time of confession. Let's pray first uh, together using the prayer that is printed in your bulletin, and then let's take some time for uh, some silent prayer of confession. Let us pray. You have given us a world of beauty, and we have spoiled it, a world to feed us, and so many go hungry, a world of riches, and we are unwilling to share, a world to care for, and we think only of ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God, for those times your heart is saddened by our selfishness, for those times we have no thought for others, no cares but ours. Enable us to see this world anew as a gift from you, to be shared and nurtured, and those who live upon it to be loved and cared for. We ask this, that your name may be glorified through the beauty of this world and the service of our lives. Amen. Hear these words of assurance. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The scripture reading for today is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It can be found in your pew Bibles in the Old Testament on pages 431. In the month of Nisan, 
in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served to him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent officers of the army and cavalry with me, when Sanballat the Horonite and Topia the Ammonite, official Hurtis, displeased them greatly, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I come to Jerusalem and was there for three days. This is the word of the Lord.
Dear friends of Jesus Christ, we are looking this fall at the book of Nehemiah. This is a study or a sermon series that will take us all the way to Advent. So it's going to be a, a good long look at an Old Testament figure and at an era of Old Testament history we may not know all that much about. Nehemiah, uh, we can say this much, was a real historical figure. There is archaeological evidence that he existed and that he was, as he claims, governor of Judah. Uh, His book is a a political memoir, maybe the first of its kind. It was written in the first person, I did this and then I did that. Uh, Lots of political memoirs are written today, most of them forgettable, but this one has endured for a long, long time. Uh, Parts of it, or fragments, were discovered in the caves at uh, Qumran. So people have been reading Nehemiah for uh, a long, long time. And as I discovered in my own reading and and study last summer, that there are some good reasons why this book has endured, why we should pay attention uh, a few thousand years later. In many ways, this is an astonishing book. It tells the the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem following the Babylonian and then the the Persian uh, Empire. Uh, uh, But obviously, uh, it is more than that. This is a book more than anything about leadership. Nehemiah, as I mentioned last week, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days, which is astonishing, miraculous, uh, especially compared to... uh, Swiss construction projects, which never seem to uh, come to an end. Uh, But it's even more astonishing when you think about how much opposition uh, that uh, Nehemiah faced. We heard at the beginning of uh, we heard the beginning of this opposition uh, in our lesson for today. How many people ridiculed him uh, or tried to undermine the the work that he was sent to do? Uh, We'll talk more about that in in coming weeks because all of us face critics of one kind or another and Nehemiah uh, has something to teach us about that as well. Uh, I've been making the case in my uh, introduction to this series that we should pay attention to this story uh, because all of us are leaders of one kind or another. Moms and dads, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, Uh, youth group uh, leaders, anyone who is a role model in the church or beyond. Uh, If you want to know what a leader looks like, uh, I've been saying, uh, look at Nehemiah. In fact, I even uh, called him uh, last week a Christ figure because his life points to the life of Christ and uh, to a particular way of living and dying, uh, putting the needs of others ahead of his own and being willing to lay down his life for his followers. Uh, Well, today I want to turn that argument around, and I want to turn it uh, 180 degrees, and I want to look with you at how we respond to the leaders in our lives. So this sermon today is not about us as leaders, but about our relationships with leaders. Uh, I read somewhere this week that uh, no matter who you are, no matter how uh, far you have gone in government or, or business, uh, you are still accountable to someone. So political leaders are accountable to their voters. Uh, business leaders are uh, accountable to their boards and to their shareholders. Employees uh, are accountable to their bosses. Children are accountable to their parents and on and on. 
uh, all of us, and, and there's no escaping this, right? uh, all of us uh, are accountable to someone. And so uh, in, in my sermon today, I want to examine with you that relationship. Right? Uh, how does a Christian, uh, a Christ follower, respond to the leadership of uh, someone who may not be a Christian? Right? Who, who may not pre- profess any faith at all except in himself or, or herself. How do we respond to that person? Uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? Uh, this is probably a good week. In fact, as, as good as any to think about those questions. Some of you are paying attention, close attention today, to the uh, national elections in, in Germany. A, a leader is being held accountable. This is something that happens all around the world, not in every country, but in many uh, and then all last week in, in uh, New York, uh, there were political leaders, heads of state, making speeches at the, the United Nations. Right? Uh, all of us are greatly concerned about uh, our leaders, uh, or we should be, because their values and their decisions and, and their behavior affects us all. Uh, I read last week, and it was a study published in the, uh, the Harvard Business Review, uh, I read that even though uh, we know Uh, or suspect uh, that humble leaders are the best kinds of leaders for us, Uh, we nevertheless choose leaders who are, uh, and just to use the shorthand here, narcissists. And and the studies seem to suggest that we typically uh, choose the worst kind of narcissist, uh, uh, assuming that there are better kinds of of narcissists, Uh, the, the kind who is unable to show any empathy at all, to other people, uh, the kind who sees people around him and her as a means to an end, uh, not as human beings with real feelings and and, uh, real needs. In in clinical terms, this would be a a, a malignant kind of narcissism, and it is frightening to be in that kind of relationship. Some of you have uh, worked in situations like that. Uh, But, and and this is what the, uh, uh, the study focuses on, uh, uh, we tend to see these leaders as uh, stronger and uh, more confident and, and more likely to get things done. Uh, we may wince now and then at their behavior. We may not like everything that they do, but uh, nevertheless, we are more inclined to put our trust in them. Uh, I told you last week about uh, a person from my hometown, uh, Max Dupree, Uh, who uh, died uh, last month. He was the CEO of a multinational corporation, one that uh, makes uh, office furniture. But uh, what made Max Dupree so memorable and and, uh, so well-loved in every newspaper account of his life, this was just after the days after his death, uh, whatever newspaper account of his life agreed on was this, that he exhibited characteristics of humility. Uh, He demonstrated his strength and weakness. He always seemed to put the needs of his employees ahead of his own. Uh, People wanted to work for Max Dupree because they believed he would lay down his life for them. Uh, And he was a Christ follower, someone who was not shy about saying so. So there are leaders like that, not many, but a few. Uh, Nehemiah appears to have been a leader like that. Jesus was the perfect example Uh, of that kind of leader, self-sacrificing, finding strength and weakness, letting go of all the trappings of of power and and grandeur. I mean, think of his birth. Think of his death. You know, I I came that others might have life, he said, and 
and, and have it abundantly. That is the biblical ideal of leadership. Uh, but studies show that we laugh at that. Right? And, and, and that we gravitate to leadership of a, a, another kind altogether. And so many of us uh, uh, find ourselves in, in situations at work and school and, and, and sometimes even in families where the person we are accountable to does not have our best interest in mind. Uh, many of us, most of us in fact, spend our entire lives in, in situations where no leader has ever said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I mean, that's sad, don't you think? Uh, we deserve better. We are children of God and, and we deserve to be treated like children of God. We do not exist for another person's grandiose ambitions. How do we live our lives in those circumstances? You know, uh, how do we go on? Uh, well, let's turn this morning, finally, to, to, to Nehemiah. And as I, I have mentioned to you, Nehemiah was a, a, a trusted confidant to Artaxerxes, uh, king of Persia. Uh, Nehemiah describes himself as a, a, a cupbearer to the king, but uh, he's being modest about that. Uh, yes, we can assume that he tasted the, the, the king's food, but, but the title of cupbearer implies a great deal more. Uh, Nehemiah worked in the palace and he served at the pleasure of the king, and the king sought his advice and counsel. Uh, so what kind of boss was Artaxerxes? Uh, I have no idea. Though uh, Persian kings did have a reputation uh, for a certain kind of ruthlessness. Still, to be fair, we don't know. Uh, our only clue is how Nehemiah approached his boss. So as we discovered last week, Nehemiah heard a report that the, the walls in Jerusalem were uh, in ruins. And this report, even though Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, uh, was not born there, was told about Jerusalem by his parents, uh, th this news affected him deeply. And, and he wept over what he heard, and, and, and instead of thinking, well, someone should do something about that, you know, he realized that he was being called to, to this task. He realized that God had uniquely equipped him to do this work. He realized that the time had come for him to give up the the good life in Persia and in the king's palace to go to Jerusalem where, uh, let's just say, things were not nearly as good as they were in Persia. But here's the problem. How do you ask the king of Persia, uh, someone who has uh, the power of life and death over you, I mean, and who doesn't hesitate for one minute to, to exercise that power, uh, how do you ask that person for a transfer? Oh, it's been great working with you, O King Xerxes, uh, but I've had this other offer. So here's uh, what this chapter teaches us, and if, if you hear nothing else uh, I say this morning, I, I, I hope you hear this much. Uh, like rebuilding the walls in 52 days, I think this is extraordinary. Uh, and, and maybe it's even more extraordinary than that other fact. Uh, listen to this. Uh, Nehemiah prayed for the king. And then he waited. So just so you know, I, I typed those words last week in, in preparation for the sermon. Nehemiah prayed for the king and then he waited. And, and, and I laughed. I was all alone in the house, but I, I laughed out loud at the sound of that. I mean, that's what we're being told to do. Pray 
and then wait. Uh, at that moment, I, I tried to imagine all the people in my life, uh, employers and, and coaches and, and seminary professors and, and parents and church elders, all the people over the years who have had authority over me and, and who made decisions that affected my life, and I tried to remember the number of times that I prayed for them. I mean, truly prayed. The, the, the getting on hands and knees kind of praying. What a radical idea. Have you ever done it? Malignant narcissist or, or, or genuinely nice person, it doesn't matter. Have you ever prayed uh, deeply, thoughtfully, sincerely for the person who has authority over you? Charles Swindoll, whose book uh, has been a kind of a guide for uh, our uh, study this fall, uh, refers to Proverbs 21, verse 1 at this point, and this is the uh, second reading for today, in spite of what your, your bulletin says. And, and Proverbs 21, verse 1 goes like this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So buried deep in, the, in the, the, the book of Proverbs is this little reminder that the king, the person in charge, the one who holds uh, our life in the palm of, of his or, or her hand, that person is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. God can change that heart anytime he wants to. But do you believe that? I mean, I do, and, but why am I so slow to pray for it? To pray for it and then to ask God for it. Uh, one important reminder here, uh, as Nehemiah waited for an answer uh, for four long months, uh, by the way, he did his best uh, not to sulk uh, or, or to show how unhappy he was in nonverbal ways. Uh, he didn't stop speaking to the king. Uh, he, he didn't slam the door whenever he left the, the throne room to, to let the king know that he was unhappy. Uh, he didn't turn to passive-aggressive strategies to communicate his unhappiness, uh, making the king wonder what in the world was going on. Uh, as Charles Win uh, Swindoll puts it, uh, Nehemiah didn't tell the king that he was praying for him, uh, which Swindoll calls the worst kind of manipulation. Honey, I'm, I'm praying for you that God will change your heart. You tell people that you're, you're praying for them uh, to let them know that they're not treating you well. And Nehemiah did none of those things. He simply waited, which uh, has to be uh, the worst uh, but most common state for the person of faith. Uh, uh, most of our lives, it seems, are spent waiting. Uh, we let go and let God, and, and then we wait. And we should all be experts at waiting by now. We have so much practice. But the truth is, waiting is terrible. Uh, turning something over to God and, and, and letting God handle it is the most difficult assignment that it is possible to get in the Christian life except maybe for forgiving someone who has wronged us. Henry Nouwen, who has written so well about the, the spiritual life, says that waiting for many people is an, an awful desert between where we are and, and where we want to be, and, and the desert is, is not where any one of us wants to be. Right? But even here, Nehemiah has something to teach us, and I wonder if you uh, 
caught it uh, toward the end of the story. One day, it seems, Nehemiah let his true feelings show, and uh, he was sad, and the king noticed that he was sad, and, and, and you might think that that's not such a bad thing, but trust me, the Persian kings uh, did not surround themselves with gloomy individuals. So when the king asked Nehemiah what was wrong, Nehemiah was afraid, and he said so. Uh, but then he does something, uh, he, he tells the king simply and directly uh, what he wanted to do. Uh, why should I not be sad, he says, when the, the city, the, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. So there it is, in one sentence he says what is troubling him, the, the, the walls of his beloved city are in ruins. And the king, uh, Artaxerxes, in answer to Nehemiah's prayer uh, four months earlier, says, what is it that you want to do? And, and here's where Nehemiah tells us how he waited. And I think this is, this is very important. Uh, he wasn't doing nothing all that time, four months of doing nothing. He wasn't staring off into space, uh, feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't telling all of his friends how wretched his life was and, and how depressed he was feeling. He, he was planning. So in those four months, between the time of his prayer and, the, and the, the change of heart by King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah had worked it all out. Verse 6 says, I gave him a definite date. So Nehemiah knew what he wanted to do. He had thought it through. He knew exactly what the plan was. So here's what I take away from that and, and what I want to leave you with today. I, I, I get it. Waiting is hard. I am no better at it than, than any of you. And the longer we wait for something, the more fearful and the more anxious we, we, we become. No one likes to wait. All right, the, the, the train should have been here five minutes ago, and now I'm just standing here. And, 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 and what if we were able to cultivate instead a, a different kind of waiting? Uh, call it waiting with a, a purpose. Uh, waiting and planning. Right? Waiting with, with the expectation that God is going to do something and that it's going to be good. Right? And, and we should be ready when it finally happens. You know, the Bible's filled with stories of uh, uh, purposeful waiting. It's not easy. Uh, uh, waiting is not easy, but it's not just wasted time as the Bible describes it. But what if we thought of our times of waiting as times that, that, that we should be busy? Uh, in, in fact, busier than, than we have ever been before. Right? What, what if we thought of our times of waiting as times of preparation? I know that many of you here today are, are, are waiting, and I, I know that it's not easy, and I hope that I'm not making it, it sound as though waiting is easy or as though it should be something that you should, you should handle. Right? Some of us are waiting on employment concerns, and and some of us are waiting on relationship issues. And some of us have been waiting for far longer than four months. I can assure you of that. But all, or almost all of us, know what it's like. And so if there is any comfort at all, if there's any bit of good news here, it is that God hears our prayer. And God answers it. And when that prayer, at long last, is answered... We need to be ready. When that door finally opens, as it did for Nehemiah, we need to be ready to step through and into the future that God has prepared for us. 
So that's my question for you today. What can you be doing? Is there something you can be doing right now to get yourself ready for the moment when the king says to us, what is it that you want to do? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the many stories in Scripture of women and men who have waited and who have put their trust in you and and then have spent time hoping and watching. Help us and, and teach us to be more like then. Help us to be more like Nehemiah. Using our times of waiting to form a plan and to get ready and to live with hope. And we pray this in, in Christ's name. Amen. Our next hymn is number 339. If you are able, I invite you to, to stand. Please be seated. And uh, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us life and the love you have for each person on this planet. We thank you for your daily protection and provision and for bringing us here together in this point of time. We thank you for showering us with abundant resources such as family, friends, talents, and money. And we thank you for this church and for all hands working in it. We thank you for giving us a free heart but at the same time leading us 
And just as you guided the thoughts of King Artaxerxes when he granted Nehemiah's requests to tend to his people, we ask you to soften our hearts now to be generous and wise administrators of what you have given us. And please help us to overcome our fears about giving to the ones in spiritual and financial need. May the collection be used wisely, strictly, for moving history forward according to your plan, the development of your kingdom, and ultimately the preparation of your return. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
It occurred to me last week as I was getting ready for today that in prayer, it's not just the king's heart that is changed. When we pray, we too are changed. So as you come to the table today, as you come into Christ's presence at this table, uh, I invite you to think of your hearts too being changed by the one who invites us to share this meal. Will you join me now in these ancient words which tie us all the way back to the earliest days of the church? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is our duty and delight that we should everywhere and always offer thanks and praise to you, O God. Now hear us as we say together the words that your Son taught us to say every time we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to take a few moments now to share the peace. This is not a time to say good morning, where are you from? Uh, this is a time to be reconciled to each other as we come to our Lord's table. So the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Peace be with you, Susan. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, Pia. Peace be with you. So glad. Yeah. Welcome. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm so glad you're here. Peace be with you, Joan. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, Stephanie. Peace be with you. Also with you, <laughs> Thank you. On the night of his betrayal and arrest, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as a remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took a cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in the shedding of my blood. He said, all of you drink of it. Each time we eat this bread and drink from this cup, 
we do show forth our Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. Uh, as a reminder, we do have gluten-free bread if you would like that. If you would like to receive a blessing instead of the elements, just make this universal sign and uh, I will be happy to give you a blessing. Elders and deacons, would you help share the meal?
Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this supper shared in the spirit with your son Jesus, who has come to make us altogether new and strong. We pray that in the nourishment from this meal, we may go forth today looking more and more like the people you have called us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn is found on an insert, uh, He Leadeth Me.
Just as a reminder, uh, we'd like to start the meeting as quickly as we can after the benediction. Please bring your Bible and uh, hymnal to the volunteers in the back. And if you have children, I have special uh, instructions for you. Parents of nursery babies, there will be babysitters in the nursery during the special congregational meeting. So your babies can remain there during the meeting if you wish. Uh, if you are not attending the SCM, please go immediately after the service to pick them up. Not that you need encouragement to do that. Uh, parents of uh, lamb, sheep, love, hope, and faith children, that's up to six years old. Uh, your children are now in the French uh, church large basement. Uh, if you are attending the SCM, they will remain there with childcare during the meeting. If you are not attending the meeting, once again, please go immediately to uh, pick them up. And then parents of John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Paul, and Kairos, children, your children are also in the French Church uh, Fellowship Hall. Please go immediately after the service and bring them back to the meeting with you or pick them up if you're not staying for the SCM. <laughs> I hope that's clear. <laughs> May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forever. Amen.